guys, it's Malin here. Welcome back to our channel. Before we get started, click that subscribe button, click notifications, and give us a huge thumbs up. This is Face the Music, an electric light orchestra song by song podcast. Out of the blue bonus tracks. Comments on sides one and two. Alright, so to avoid a three hour long bonus tracks episode covering all of Out of the Blue, there are going to be two bonus tracks episodes. Even with splitting it up, this is a long episode, so let's get right to it. So before we get to the comments about the songs from side one and two of Out of the Blue, we have some replies from our bonus tracks episode of A New World Record. Lori Balcom asks, who is this Madeline? Uh, Madeline is a seven year old female child, human living on the third planet from the sun and the solar system. I think that's a pretty detailed description, and I think that pretty much tells you everything you need to know. And she's also your stepdaughter. Well, I guess there's that tidbit of information, too. Yes. MJ Folds wrote, Throw that dirty trash into your deep hole. Do I listen to this podcast for such filth? Well, no. But it is a welcome addition. A fun episode. Looking forward to your trek into the next album. Yeah, and I'd read this before having listened to the bonus tracks episode, and uh, I was going, when the heck did I say we say something about dirty trash <laughs> in a deep hole? Well, that was And, me. Uh, yeah, it's an entire uh, us going back and forth waiting for a garbage truck to go away. Yeah, waiting for the trash out here to go away. And it was me yeah. that talked about throwing dirty trash into the deep hole. Right, and it seemed like that was a more interesting conversation <laughs> than... A lot of the things I've heard on the internet lately. <laughs> so Troy White had something to say. So while Eric reads this, I'm going to go make a Samish, watch all the Star <laughs> Trek and Star Wars movies, and he should be done with it by the time I finish those. So you go ahead, Eric. I'll be downstairs. Okay, yep, go, make, go get the woman to make you a Samish while I read this. That's what she's there for. You're a sexist jerk! Out of the blue may be their masterpiece, but in my humble opinion... A New World Record is ELO's best album. It is one of my five all-time favorite albums. I first bought the album on 8-track and played the hell out of it. This extensive discussion of the album brought back vivid memories of listening to the album during the spring and summer of 1977. It was a perfect album for a summer night. Tightrope, Telephone Line, Mission, So Fine, Livin' Thing, Do Ya, and Shangri-La especially. Take me back to those summer nights in the year that I lost my virginity to the girl who lived across the alley from me. Above the clouds was the click track. Yes, the shortest song on the album was the one that began on channel 2, faded out, then faded back in on channel 3. I later bought the album on cassette and vinyl and eventually on CD. A New World Record and Bad Out of Hell are the only two albums I own on all four of these formats. It will always hold a special place in my heart. And it's one of those albums that has both a perfect opener, tightrope, and a perfect closer, Shangri-La. Wait, did I mention how much I love this album? It's just so good. 
By the way, I've always wondered why the cassette and vinyl copies I own have different track sequencing from the original tracking. For example, Shangri-La is not the closing track on either format. Instead, it's the closing track on side one, which sucks because Shangri-La is the perfect album closer. Thanks again for this trip down memory lane. I really, really love this album. And I'm really, really glad you didn't lose your virginity listening to Bad Out of Hell. Wow, I forgot how much I hated Jar Jar Binks. So now that you're done with that. Yeah, 8-tracks. There are people who love 8-tracks, and I have always despised them, even when I was a kid in the 70s. Because there's nothing more annoying than getting into a song and listening, and it's like, wait, why is it fading at Colic? And then fade back into the rest of the song. And that kind of thing sticks with a person. I had a friend who had a copy of Xanadu on 8-track. And whenever I hear one of the songs from that album in my head, there's still that click that jumps in in the middle of the, the song. So, Yeah, 8-track sucked. I don't understand the retro appeal of them. Yeah, not to mention the resequencing a lot of times. Oh, yes. Out, songs out of order that, no, that's, you know, well, the, the people who... Sometimes it worked. Kansas' Point of No Return, was, I believe, was resequenced. Mm-hmm. But it was resequenced so that it kind of avoided some of the clicks in the middle. But Genesis, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, the whole album depends on being in that freaking sequence. <laughs> they completely resequenced it for a track, so you have no idea what in the world. I mean, normally listening to the, a lot of time, even reading the liner notes, you might not have any idea what's going on in the album. Mm-hmm. But you really have no idea if the entire story is jumbled up into different places. Yeah, it, if, if you got a theme album where, where the feeling of the album depends on the order of the songs, it's not just a collection of songs, yeah, you can't be knocking stuff out of order when the band is trying to tell a story. And I lost my virginity to Just a Toy by Bare Naked Ladies. Eric, what song did you lose your virginity to, since we're all just going to announce this? I don't think there was any music playing. Hmm. No tiptoe through the tulip set in the mood? Nope. I think I was just listening to make sure I didn't hear my parents' car driving up. <laughs> that's, yeah, I think that's, uh, well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose that's one of the perks of losing your virginity when you're 27 in your own apartment. So, but True. That was my life story. Anyway, James B. Mort said, love this. The podcast, I'm sure, not the virginity loss talk. That's what he's talking about. Pam Van Allen says, I'd like to mention Mission of the Sacred Heart, a novel adaptation of a New World Record by Randy Blazak. Randy thought it was a concept album when he was a youngster and turned it into a story of youth in Portland. Dr. Blazak has a PhD in sociology. You see how overeducated yellowologists slash novelists are? Such brainiacs think they know everything about everything just because they're smart and they know everything. Well, Troy White chimed in again. So Madeline is accusing Jeff Lynn, copycat, of stealing Dr. Doom's time machine and traveling to the 21st century and stealing her singing style. Well, alrighty then. Actually, Troy, that's ridiculous. You sound insane. You're just being silly now. Jeff Lynn used one of the time transporters that he mentioned in time and came back into the early 21st century to stalk Madeline, see if he can get songs out of her, because Madeline's always singing. And that's how he got living thing. Dr. Doom, you're being ridiculous. He used his own time machine. Don't you pay attention to the storyline or the songs on the album Time? It's all right there, man. 
I just always rely on the lizard people. Well, the lizard people too, of course. I don't want to get them on our bad side, so I shouldn't forget them either. Nope, all hail our overlords. Sounds crazy to me. <laughs> Nigel Hill says, No need for any bonus tracks. The album is perfect as it was 40 plus years ago. Yes. Well, so am I. Well, same here. Other than the diabetes and other things. But still, perfect. So, Corey Gomel had a whole lot to say about our New World Record bonus tracks episode. Just listen to the a New World Record bonus tracks. I now feel I have something in common with the prisoners Muammar Gaddafi would torture by playing Cat Scratch Fever at volume 11 over and over until their ears bled, or they cracked and gave up government secrets. Did I just listen to an hour of bad Muzak Duya playing over and over in the background? Attached, please find my Excedrin bill. As for music, you old Eric's. We hardly need to use our ears. Our music changes through the years. Queen. I have found good music in every decade, from Mozart to Miley Cyrus. And I think her wrecking ball was better than Joe's. And you don't want Sir Paul to auto-tune? Have you heard him recently? But I do love Fa You, even though it sounds like Grandpa McCartney singing. I worked out for an hour today, and the time flew by listening to this recap. I was trying to give you Eric's some crap because of your discomfort with praise. But listening was just so effin' enjoyable. By the way, Jeff and I are so tight. I've met him on at least three separate occasions. And when I say met, for him it's always the first time. Remember, it's not whose photo hangs on your wall that counts. It's what photos that hang on their wall. To date, I don't believe Jeff has a photo of me on his wall. I did send him an 8x10 of one of the photos of the Beatles my father took for Life magazine. That might have made it to his wall. As for 80s music, there was Time and the Wilburys bookending it. In a decade that produced that music, it can't be all bad. It was too legit to quit. Crap, that was 90s. Hush hush eye to eye. Well, it wasn't all good. Good luck with your project 10 years down the line with your daughter. My daughter Madeline is 26. Not gonna happen. Um, yeah, you heard me choking on Miley Cyrus. I can't stand her, and I don't see her appeal. Her voice sounds like a 60-year-old woman who's been smoking for 65 years. Her whole attitude, she comes off like she's rich and really cool and all that. And look at me, I'm I'm the cool rich kid. I'm making records, and I'm smoking weed just to be cool. Come on, let's all hang out with me, because I'm cool. And all the other kids are like... Yeah, we're going to go stand over here. Uh, we'll get back to you later. Okay, you guys go do that. <laughs> I'm cuckoo. Oh, this is my next song. I, uh, I, 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 I just, uh, no, I don't. And yes, I have heard Paul lately. Yeah, his voice is slipping. Auto-tune does not help that. I would rather have a natural voice, even if it's slipping, than to hear one auto-tuned all over the place. It just don't work for me. Miley Cyrus, I have to give it to her, is not that bad of an actress, though. I've, well, She's a better actress than she is singer. And I know a lot of the um, internet people, they went completely crazy because of her Black Mirror episode. And all of a sudden, no, oh, this is my Black Mirror. Wine, <laughs> wine, 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 wine. Yeah. And uh, it was actually halfway decent. And it was because, well, they had her kind of playing the type, but still, it was. She's actually not that bad. When she's not put into just a plain kitty role. Outside of that, though, you're right. She's still trying to do that whole, oh, look, I take Molly. Look, mm-hmm. I smoke weed. Look, I'm half naked. Look. 
and it's it's like somebody who hasn't had enough attention from daddy mm-hmm. who is really 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 trying to put it out there when to tell you the truth she probably could decently sing and do her little pop thing without trying to do everything else and as for her taking her clothes off all the time, well, I don't really see much there to, to look at <laughs> anyway. So. I, the, you know, <laughs> there's that, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, there's a picture that shows up on the internet a lot of her with one of her eyes open, and she's sticking out her tongue, and all I can see is Bill the Cat. <laughs> it's just like Bill the Cat. Yeah, but if you want somebody who sings like Bill the Cat, that was always Britney Spears. Yeesh. Yeah. yeah, you got that. <laughs> Um, actually, yes. my only dealings with Miley Cyrus are when she was on Saturday Night Live. And um, I always picked up that vibe. Look at me, everybody. I'm on Saturday Night Live. Cool. Just like you, right? And as for the only contribution to the music world that uh, she's made that I don't have a problem with, uh, that would be Party in the CIA. With <laughs> Without that song, there would be no Weird Al parody about killing world leaders in other countries and having a great dental plan. We've got snazzy suits and ties, suits and ties, and a better dental plan than the FBI's. Better put your hands up and get in the van, or else you'll get blown away. Staging a coup like it, brainwashing moles like it. We only torture the folks we don't like, you're probably gonna be okay. At least there's that point for Miley Cyrus. Which maybe sometime after we're done with this, maybe it might not be a bad idea to do Weird Al song by song. I'm I'm up for that. Although there's a there's a podcast called We're All Yankovics, and they 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 did song by song. They did it in um, song length order. They did it because they say it's boring to go in order of release, which I can kind of see. But for a listener, it's kind of difficult to keep up with, well, I wonder what'll be next week. And also you're wondering, did they already cover another one, Wired to the Bus, or is that coming up? Um, did they do short to long or long to short? Uh, short to long. I think they started with okay, Harvey. Okay, I can't imagine, okay, here's Weird Al and here's his legacy and we're going to start off with Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah, that was the one that they just finished. Um. So, <laughs> so yeah, as yeah. you know, I've... Not against an Al by or song by song Al podcast. I love Weird Al. Apparently, we'll lose Corey Gomel. He does not like Weird Al, but I love Al. Didn't hit gold all the time, but more often than not, he was he was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a eight bit version of Do Ya. It's from, you know, it sounds like an old Atari video game, and I can see how that would get tiresome if it's looped for about forty minutes. But what I try to do for the bonus tracks episode is try to find odd versions of ELO songs. And I'm always looking for more. And they're not all that easy to find. So if anybody out there, we've got lots of listeners getting like over a thousand listens a week. Some of you must play instruments. You don't even have to play them good. If anybody out there plays an instrument and can play an ELO song in an odd or unusual way, like if you have a calliope or a slide whistle or kazoo, kazoo or if you have a talent for playing songs with a flexi tone and that's what this thing is if you can play something that sounds like an ELO song for that sure record it 
email it to us at eloftmpodcast at gmail.com. And I will play it and loop it for 30 or 40 minutes while we read replies and discuss. So if synthesizer, keyboard, if you got a way to make an ELO song, to remake it, sound silly, bagpipes. I am going to do my version of Marston Moore and have you loop it for 40 minutes. <laughs> Banjo, that would be another good one. J- jaw harp. Jaw Jaw harp, I'll be able to say it. Or is it Jew's harp? Whichever it is, the one that makes it's the... the same, same instrument. Right, the thing that makes the doing, doing, doing sound. If you can make um, it... E- uh, well, that... that uh, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. That, yes, yeah. Not yeah. not the skin flute that doesn't make any noises. That I know of. I've never been close enough to hear it make a noise. Um, so If, if you, it does, you see a doctor. Yes, yes, absolutely. So if you can make an ELO song, sounds kind of goofy... I, please send it to me so I can use it for more beds on the uh, bonus tracks episodes. You can do magic. All right, now we're moving on to Out of the Blue. And up first, of course, is Turn to Stone. And Todd J. Lampy, or Lamp, maybe the E is silent. You preface this episode by saying Out of the Blue is a mediocre album? The album is loaded with great songs. This doesn't bode well. Just make sure, as we go on, to direct your hate mail at the right Eric. Eric Winsenson is the one who called it a mediocre album. Just get that yes. right. Lisa Collins says, I would totally lose it when this song came on the car radio. The year I graduated, I started dating a guy who was a disc jockey locally. He would play Turn to Stone every weekday at 7 a.m. to wake me up. Loved it! Yeah, it sounds like he was a sweet guy, and it was worth you supporting him all those years. And hopefully he wasn't a disc jockey who was in his 40s or 50s dating somebody who's just graduated high school. Although it doesn't say high school, just that she graduated. Might have been college. Right. Could have been college. Yeah, it does not say high school. Or junior high, which is even more skeezy 70s DJ. I don't know why your mind is going in this direction. The day belongs to us, but the night belongs to the Night DJ, the monster movie about the graveyard shift and the disc jockeys that work it, doing what DJs do. So, uh, how old are you? Sixteen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, do you live with your parents? Yeah, but they're gone on vacation and at home now. Well, um, <clears throat> I get off the air in a couple of hours. Um, how would you like to meet a real live disc jockey? Oh, you need it? Yeah. The All Night DJ. what you look like. Troy White wrote another extensive piece here. This is my favorite ELO song, and I think it's one of their best album opening songs. Jeff Lynne really captures the essence and pain of heartbreak on this song, especially the longing for something that you know will never happen, yet you still hope for anyway. Compare this song with Getting to the Point from Balance of Power, another excellent Jeff Lynne composition about heartbreak where the protagonist has resigned himself to the fact that it is indeed over. The protagonist, in Turn to Stone, hasn't reached that point yet, because he won't let himself get there. The middle part where Jeff speeds up the vocal is a perfect example of what goes on inside the mind of someone who is thinking about something or someone, to the point that his or her mind is about to break. Your mind goes several thousand miles a second. You know she's not coming back, but you will not allow yourself to accept the inevitable. 
If it sounds like I am speaking from experience, I am. Bravo, Jeff Lynn. I'm thinking that I should, like, step down from the discussion parts of the show and just handle the production part of the podcast, because Troy White is way more insightful than I am. <laughs> I mean, I just say stuff like, I like the part of the song that goes with the synthesizer, and it makes I like. And Troy, he he really goes into it, so I think, uh, I think I'll just step aside and let Troy take over. But uh, Troy and Eric doesn't have the same ring. Troy and Eric, Eric and Eric and Troy, yeah, yeah. That's if he can get his own show going with somebody named Helen, then it might work. That could. Although, no, oh, I got it. No, it hit me. It came, I got it now. Here, okay, go. I got this. Okay. When me and you finish Use up... Use your words. <laughs> I can find words. This is why Troy should take over. When we finish up with ELO, you and Troy... And start doing a podcast about Electric Light Orchestra 2. Because the lead singer in Electric Light Orchestra 2 was Eric Troyer. I was thinking that we could just do one more, do the next letter up and go from ELO to ELP. Yeah. Is there an Eric Troyer in Emerson, Lake, and Palmer or Powell? No. (laughs) Because otherwise it would be Emerson, Lake, and Palmer and Troyer. No, that's right. This is why we need smarter people than me in this podcast. Stupid! You're so stupid! All right, up next is um, something that Eric was really excited about when it came up until I told him, uh, no, it's the song. We're not finished with the album. These are comments about It's Over. Doug Payton says, you get to the end of this song and think, so you're saying it's over? Is that the impression you're trying to give? I think it's over. It's, it's over. Well, it's no, I, th- I, I, oh, I think she's probably just playing hard to get. Yeah, yeah. It's, n- it's not over until you get the second restraining order. Yes, exactly. Women love... Then, sh- then they're serious. Yes. Women love a man who's persistent. It's not stalking, it's persistency. And eventually that pays off with the restraining order. Jail time. Yes. New boyfriend. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and he's going to be more persistent than you were. Aye. <laughs> Joe Chenault said, Great use of snippets. Well, thank you. And every time I use a snippet, I always think of Joe. Joe's going to like this. Even if I don't use the jingle, when I start cutting in snippets, the jingle still plays in my head. Listen up, people. Here's a snippet for Jill. Troy White says, This song is a good example of how I feel about the Out of the Blue album in general. I like it, but I don't love it. As for the song, it might have been better if this had been released as a B-side or even as a non-album single. It feels out of place in the track sequencing. Probably should have been put on side four. Birmingham Blues would have been much better as the second track on side one. As for the album, despite the fact that many view Out of the Blue as their favorite ELO album, it is not my favorite. It lacks the excitement of a New World record, El Dorado, or Discovery. May have been better had it not been a double album. But then you have to decide what should have been left out, and no two ELO fans would agree on that. Uh, that's true, most of them won't agree with me saying what should have been left out was 90% of the album. <laughs> this would have made a great EP. <laughs> um, 
I'm, I'm saving my comments until we do the second Out of the Blue Bonus Tracks episode. Uh, I, I really think we should give Troy his own segment. He, uh, he's really great at digging into these songs and coming up with his own things. So, um, yeah, let's uh, just whip up a Troy segment and uh, he can just record them and send them in. So a lot of the comments for Sweet Talking Woman was about how people misheard the lyrics. I misheard the vocoder at the beginning. I always thought it said, where did she go from? Um, it's not what he's saying. He's saying Sweet Talking Woman. But other people had the same problem with other lyrics in the song. Tracer Anthony says, listening to this the very first time as a youngster and not having the benefit of printed lyrics. Jeff may have been singing, I was walking, many days go by, but I was hearing, I was working in a disco bar. Hey, considering the era when this was made, that would not have been completely out of the question. No, it would not. I, it's, it's, that's sort of kind of the vibe I get from Jeff Lynne's very, very, very disco single, Going Down to Rio. I think that's where he got the idea. He was hanging out in a disco bar, and he said, I'm going to swipe this kind of thing, and I'll release it as a single that nobody will ever buy or remember and will later come back to haunt me. Was he ever working as a waitress in a cocktail lounge that you know of? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Maybe Jeff can call us and let us know. Put, a, put an end to or confirm that rumor that he might have been working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. Logan Anderson said, Confession time. For years, I always thought when Jeff was saying insufficient data coming through, I seriously thought he was saying insufficient tater coming through. I really did wonder how could a tater be not sufficient enough. I learned that it's Jeff's accent, which sometimes makes some words end in a er sound. I love this song, and I get a little embarrassed by the fact that I misheard this song. Love the show been following since face the music the album you guys are great well thank you and uh i think insufficient tater coming through that could change the whole meaning of the song it's not about a a sweet talking woman who's maybe moving a little too fast for jeff so he's like hey hey slow down with that line it could be taken into a whole different meaning that it could be a statement it could be a story song about the potato famine and that Jeff is like saying, hey, whoa, slow down, hold on, sweet-talking woman. You're really tempting me about moving to America where potatoes are plentiful. But I've got my whole family here. Slow down, sweet-talking woman. I like what you're saying, but I, I don't want to leave them. So that's how insufficient tater coming through could really change the that's meaning true. of the song. Yeah, I remember early drafts of Star Trek The Next Generation had kind of a... Uh, slightly dirty lumpy alien on board the ship and so but i guess they somebody misheard it and decided that uh, lieutenant tater was going to suddenly have a different identity once the show aired i you know i missed that little tater taught him information about the next generation yep because he was supposed to be a master of disguise because uh, whenever he could go someplace all they had to do is take off the lips and the eyes and everything just replace them with different ones orville if you're listening this is gold right here you could get away with that on your show. An alien that can take off bits of his face to change his face. You just don't want to get him into high heat because otherwise he's very delicious. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. With some salt and some, some pepper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The hump has to eat. Mike Faber says, My favorite song from Out of the Blue. Remember hearing it as a kid. Was hooked since. 
Love seeing it live, how it mixes the strings and rock music. Truly brilliant, and the use of vocoderies has become a mainstay. Doug Payton said, This is the episode I've been waiting for. Best song ever. Audio feedback coming your way after the ELO concert in two weeks. Lucky bastard who gets to go see him. I thought we were trying to tune things so we got the feedback out. Oh, 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 he's going to call on the phone. I think that's what he meant. Okay. Yeah, but otherwise, uh, I'd say audio feedback coming your way and probably lose half the listeners at the moment. I can put my headphones over the microphone, but it's a pricey microphone. Please don't. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a pricey microphone. I don't want to break it yet. I've only had it for a couple months. Hey, Eric and Eric, this is Doug in Atlanta with my thoughts on the song Sweet Talkin' Woman. This was the episode I had been waiting for. This is the song that got me hooked on Yellow as a teenager in the late 70s. The sheer musicality of the song really hit me compared to so many basic guitar, bass, drum songs that others seem to crank out. I was quite the top 40 fan at the time, and this stood out to me as one with not only a great arrangement of instruments, but a catchy tune, words I could relate to, and one I could sing because Jeff Lynne's vocal range was pretty close to my own. This is not just my favorite ELO tune, it's my favorite song of all time. Just like Eric mentioned, listening to different versions of Turn to Stone for two hours, I did much the same with Sweet Talkin' Woman, but just the original version. I had a fancy tape player in my car where I could set a song on repeat, so when it was over, the player would sense the silence, it rewound back to the beginning of the song, and played it again. I wore out my out-of-the-blue cassette doing that. The layered strings, the complex harmonies, complex for late 70s top 40, the pizzicato violins in the second and third verses. I really appreciated so many things that Jeff did in this that he really didn't need to do for a top 40 hit. Like I said, this is what made ELO my favorite band ever, so much so that my four kids who are either in college or beyond that know this song well and many others. And by the way, I hadn't thought of the comparison to Do You Believe in Love by Huey Lewis in the News, but oddly enough, I think that's my favorite song of theirs. I also wanted to add that I did catch Jeff Lynne when ELO came to Atlanta on the 2019 tour. What a show. Yeah, he's 71, and he isn't hitting the high notes or the loud notes like he used to. But as my daughter, who I took with me, said, But hey, he's here. (laughs) True enough. And he can still play the guitar like nobody's business. I had a smile on my face the whole time while singing along, and yes, I recorded Sweet Talkin' Woman on my phone during the concert. Now I know how my mom felt when she took me to a big band concert when I was in high school. Well, great job you're doing there, Eric and Eric. And Madeline, thanks for brightening my Saturdays. I love you, man! Troy White says, This song definitely ranks in my top ten. Maybe even top five yellow songs. If I let my imagination run away with me, I have often thought of this song as part two of a trilogy which begins with Telephone Line and ends with Calling America. In other words, yes, I am thinking that Jeff is talking about the same woman in each song. He tries all night long to get her on the phone and telephone line. Then he tries to enlist the help of the operator on Sweet Talkin' Woman. Finally, nine years later, he's still trying to reach her on satellite phone and calling America. Take a hint, man. She's not into you. That number she left for you was a fake number. She probably took a cue from Elaine on Seinfeld gave him the number of his sub shop in Queens. I would say that Jeff should update this song for the cell phone generation, but I don't think he could top the brilliant and sublime, pardon me, I've got to take this. 
Let it go, man. It's the Me Too generation. <laughs> I kind of like that story. I'd never thought of a thread connecting all of those songs together. That's, that's an interesting theory. It is a va- rather interesting theory, even though he never put out a four song, which was just called I'm Her Husband. <laughs> yeah. Call here again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or Restraining Order. Never put out that exactly. song. Exactly. Restraining Order would have been a nice simple one there, too. Yeah. Go away! We don't want you! Pam Van Allen said, It's good that songwriters aren't constantly suing each other. <laughs> they are. Yeah. Yes. Even even when they didn't write each other's songs. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're suing each other. Yeah. I think that might have been a little snarky uh, joke there since Jeff recently sued. Yeah, I think I, I'm, What's I'm his face? this tiny bit of sarcasm there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mike Hudson says, listening to it right now, and it says, sweet talking woman, winky face. <laughs> hey, we pulled out our winky. I'm like your co-host. <laughs> I always hear STW in that vocoder. Sweet talking woman. Okay. It was, I was going, okay, is this something I'm allowed to say on the air? (laughs) It was the opening line that's not vocoded that I heard wrong for years. But finally, about 10 or 15 years ago, I realized it actually was, where did she go? I do not agree with you that Out of the Blue is a mediocre album, but that's what makes ELO great. Different albums appeal to different fans more than others. There's something in the ELO canon for everyone. I personally have an almost impossible time deciding whether a New World Record or Out of the Blue is the ELO's greatest album. Well, yeah, I, I kind of understand on, on the non-vocoded part, because I always thought for the longest time it was my in my blue world. You mean a sweet-talking woman? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which I would think would be odd, since he says it a couple of times in Turn to Stone. But, you know, of course, that could have been a theme to the album that he's going to work my blue world into every song. Um, yeah, that's kind of one of the things that I really like about ELO. They didn't really get stuck in a sound rut. Well, original run of ELO. They didn't really get stuck in a sound rut. To me, there are three trilogies of albums in that original run of ELO. Their first three albums, they were heavy cello and experimental. The next three, El Dorado through a new world record, they were more classical stuff in there. They actually had a big orchestra. And I would say Out of the Blue to Xanadu is, I guess four trilogies, is more commercial radio-friendly stuff. And then Time to Balance a Power, it's, it's all heavy synth. So if you don't like something from ELO, just wait it out. Something will come along that you do like a musical style that you do like. Well, they never did the really hard, hard kind of rock like Sabbath or or uh, Motley Crue. And they never did rap. Thank God, let's keep it that way. That's what was really needed next is an ELO remix album um, with rap interludes <laughs> added into the older songs. Could you just imagine Kanye doing a slow rap in the middle of telephone line? I'd, I'd really rather not. And when I come out in November, I'm going to have to beat you with a club just for saying that. So <laughs> um, we'll have lunch, and then then the clubbing begins. Tom Cutts said, I feel like one album side of Out of the Blue is slightly foreign to the rest of the album and that initially felt awkward. 
Once I surrendered to the need for the conceptual aesthetic to be congruent, I could appreciate the tunes for their brilliance. Somebody knows words. Well, that's, that's good, though. I'm not trying to make fun of you. It's just I tripped over some of them, which you won't hear because I'll edit them out. But no, I love it that people will see deeper things into the album than my four-watt dim brain will pick up. Mike Hudson said, I never felt any of the four sides were out of place, but I have always thought that Concerto for a Rainy Day should have been side four instead of side three. Those four songs should have been the closing tracks for the album, especially Mr. Blue Sky being the last track on the album. And yes, I know the vocoder says, please turn me over. But until about 15 years ago, I always thought it said Mr. Blue Sky, which it easily could have been instead of Please Turn Me Over. And of course, Side 4 should have been Side 3. Easy fix, and the album would have flowed perfectly. Well, I definitely uh, agree with that, that Concerto for a Rainy Day should have been the last side of the album. Because, yeah, Mr. Blue Sky is one heck of an album closer. Yeah, that big classical part at the end of Mr. Blue Sky, I think that would be a great way to end an album. You didn't even need to put the vocoder there. Um, if you don't really want, please turn me over. And I never heard please turn me over, but we'll cover that when we get to Mr. Blue Sky. Cynthia LeBlanc, all-time favorite. Sweet Talking Woman's pretty damn good, I would have to agree. Everybody loves you and so do I. Moving on to a song Eric really, really, really didn't like too much. Across across the border, not across the universe, like I was about to say. A completely different song, Across the Border. Jim Crow said, I like this song from the first time I heard it in 1977. Maybe it's just because I listened to Out of the Blue so heavily after it first came out, but it just feels right to me as the final song of Side One. It's a fun, catchy tune. Um, I think it's good. <laughs> I know. You know, not so much. But yeah, I thought having that big drum splash at the end was a good way to end an album side. Pam Van Allen said, I'm pretty sure Across the Border belongs right where Jeff put it. The term filler is meaningless for ELO albums. Um, filler? There's, uh, I think there are some songs on some ELO albums that are filler. Most of the time, it's, it's good filler. But, you know, I like ELO, so even most of the filler songs are still ones that I like, so... So we had a little recording issue on When Sensons End. Uh, for the rest of the commentary about Across the Border, uh, things did not get recorded on his end. So He later re-recorded reading the comments that people left, but the witty banter between me and him, that didn't get recorded. Um, from now on, as uh, for the rest of the commentary for Across the Border, I'll try and clue you in on what was said, and maybe use a substitute sound for Eric's voice. So, At this part here, Eric made the witty comment that Battle of Marston Moor might be considered filler on the first ELO album. All right, let's continue. Oy, I, don't, I, I don't know, that seemed more intentional than a filler. Roy really seemed uh, hopped up about, yeah, this will be great. Not sort of like, hopped up on something. It probably is. Yeah, I don't know. From what I read, it, it didn't seem like Roy was like, oh, we got to find some way to stick six minutes on side one. It's, let's just do this and get it out of the way. And Bev's like, no, no, thank you. I'll sit this one out. Troy White says, my comment this week will be brief. 
should have been a B-side, like about 40% of the tracks on this album. Glad to hear I'm not the only one who thinks that Smile is a vastly overrated album. For years, I thought I was the only one who felt that way. Out of the Blue may not be my favorite Yellow album, but it is Bach compared to Brian Wilson's masterpiece. And here Eric said something insightful about the Beach Boys' Smile album. Mm-hmm. I just did a quick look on my iTunes. I have a, a few songs from Smiley Smile. I don't know if that's the same album or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, because looking over what I got here, vegetables, uh, she's going bald, heroes and villains. Um, yeah, I, I like vegetables and she's going bald. I think they're amusing. I don't think it's high quality Beach Boy stuff. Good Vibrations is on there, which I do think is high quality Beach Boy stuff. So, <laughs> Good one, man. They know, they got another one, man. What do you, what do you go with the difference between them? They know, they know man, yeah. with a well, little squirt gun. I'll tell you what, man, it's airtight. Put on a big dang old yeah. mine, man. Look, it's like I'm trying to get out of this box, man. Say, whoa, and then go play tug of war, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you talking about the, the dang old little boy, boy band, man. Talking about them prancing around that old dang Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that Good Vibrations is definitely the highlight of the album if it's mixed in there with Vegetables and She's Going Bald, which, again, I think are amusing, but I I don't really know if I'd put them on an album. I would put them on a bonus tracks box set previously unreleased, you know, stuff that may have been leaked to Dr. Demento years ago. But as for an album track on a proper album, I would have left that stuff off. MJ Folds... Yeah, I definitely agree with the Eric who loved this track. Oh, that'd be me! I always have loved this song. I love Heroes and Villains, too, but never noticed the similarity. And would tape it on compilations for friends. I love the way it chugs along, plus the brass is awesome. Yay for mariachi, but only for this song. Ahí está otra vez ese miserable. Se va a meter en los sueños de la niña. Ella soñará muy feo. You know, I, we record these shows like six or seven weeks in advance, and once it's done, it's out of my head, and I'm on to the next thing. Until it loads up on iTunes, and I download it and listen to it and see what we did about seven weeks ago. And I broke myself up laughing when all of a sudden the mariachi music banged in for the voicemail promo in there. I completely forgot that I, I put that in there. So, yes, more mariachi music for our ELO podcast. Yeah, se va a llevar el trineo de Santa Claus. Pero qué bueno. Los renos no lo obedecen. ¡Qué chasco! Um, I see the reason why we're doing Out of the Blue uh, two bonus tracks episodes because I don't want these episodes to drag on for longer than two hours. So we can do a special mariachi episode later. Or you can. Corey Gomel says, Let me just say this right here. That beyond a reasonable doubt, this was hands down the single greatest podcast solely devoted to the last song on side one of Out of the Blue I have ever heard. And I wholeheartedly agree. (laughs) Well, thank you, Corey. Ken Keenan. I always loved this song. The use of mariachi horns were a great touch by Jeff. I think it was a nice touch, too. And something completely different for ELO and even Jeff. So, 
It was actually nice to hear that in there. Stacy Reed said, I have to agree with Eric Paul Johnson with his opinion on this song. I absolutely love this track and the fact that he threw in the White Album as an example of variety that did not necessarily seem to have a theme was a perfect example to me. Once again, everybody loves me. Joe Chenault wrote, Why on earth does Jeff mention Mardi Gras in a song that seems to be about traveling to Mexico? Does he know what it is? I, you know, I didn't think about that. Is there a Mexican Mardi Gras? Uh, no. Okay. Um, there is... It, it, well, it's the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, so I'm sure there's something. It's I, a Catholic thing, so I'm sure that there's something there, but nothing like Mardi Gras as far as I know. Nothing really like Carnival either. It, so again, Jeff is showing his knowledge of a region's cultural traditions, much in the same way Down Home Town spotlighted the American South. Yes. Yeah. Which actually, you'll find Mardi Gras there. <laughs> yeah. Yes, 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 you will. How do you do, Mr. Sponsor? How do you do? Here's the time for a commercial for you. We'd be glad to put it in. If you'll get up the tin, how do you do, Mr. Sponsor? How do you do? Which law firm are you going to call if you get hurt in a car wreck? Call me, Attorney Corey Gomel, the heavy hitter, and you'll get more than just a lawyer. You'll also get a trained staff of professionals who have handled thousands of cases just like yours, and... And a network of crash experts and engineers, all working hard to get you every dollar you deserve. Car wreck? Get the heavy hitter team. I'm attorney Corey Gomel. The heavy hitter is the way to go. Call oh, oh, oh. Back to ELO. For Night in the City, Doug Payton wrote, I have to agree with Eric. That'd be me, this, this Eric. I forgot I like this song until it starts playing. Mark Herring says, I always love this song. It's a great one to play on the guitar. I'm really beginning to wonder about the other Eric because he likes Discovery. And that'd be him. That'd be the other Eric over there. Yeah, it's because Discovery is a great album. <laughs> There's more to it than disco. I, it's, it, I'm saving all that stuff for the when we get to Discovery. But exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah mm. Pam Van Allen wrote, there's no filler on Out of the Blue. You guys are delusional. Well, this has been brought to my attention many times, but fortunately I have a brilliant mind and I'm blazingly sexy, so that makes up for my being delusional. And we'll just let that one lie. <laughs> are you out of your mind? <laughs> the ESO Network says, One of my favorites. It was my first of many ELO songs to love. That's kind of weird to me. I mean, I don't mean weird like, uh, okay... It's just kind of odd that an obscure album track is the first ELO song that you run into that makes you say, oh, I love ELO. But I grew up on the 70s, so the first ELO that I ran into was the radio hits, Strange Magic or Evil Woman or something like that. True. Troy, Troy White, and eventually I will say his name right instead of always trying to say Troy White. Troy White says, I really like this song. It's a bit quirky, but that's part of its charm. I love the various changes throughout. But I will concede that lyrically it could have been better. 
seems to revisit themes already explored on Turn to Stone, Sweet Talkin' Woman, and Across the Border. I have the Live at Wembley, 1978, DVD. They opened that show with a medley of Standin' in the Rain and this song. I would have chosen Turn to Stone. That is a perfect concert opening song. This song does work as an opening track for an album side, though. Any side but side one. Finally, I'm glad I'm not the only one who is not enamored by the police's synchronicity. It has some great songs on it, but I'm not a fan of the album as a whole. Keep up the good work. This podcast has become a highlight of my week since I started listening in March. Thank you. <laughs> Again, I'm glad to hear. It's, you know... You know, if anybody out there is kind of disappointed at my reactions when people compliment me on doing the show, even though I, I love hearing it, you should see me when I open Christmas or birthday presents. It's always kind of like, oh, this is cool. I really like this. And in my head, I know it's coming off as like, I've got present face. Oh, thank you for the big Lego set I've always wanted. No, I really do. Just, uh, I've got too much Vulcan in me to get super excited, so... That. Except around Ponfar. Well, you know, the wife will tell you the truth about that. I'm in no mood for your nincompoopity. Yeah, I think Turn to Stone is a good way to open the album as side one. And as for Night in the City, that's a good way to open an album side. But yeah, not side one. Jim Crow says, love the song. I really enjoy the strings foreshadowing the I'll get you lyric in the bridge. Does it come to mind when someone asks me to name some ELO songs? No. Do I sing every word when it plays? Absolutely. Because I remember there's only about eight words in it, right? Uh, yeah, Night in the City. <laughs> night in the City. Whoa, oh, oh. Night in the City. Driving you insane. And there you go. Yeah, no. Driving me insane would be uh, somebody giving us a kazoo version of Jungle. Even though that might improve it. You have put an idea in my head that I hope somebody comes through. Because I liked Jungle and... A kazoo orchestra version of Jungle? That would be something to hear. I hope the Temple City Kazoo Orchestra is listening and is and would like to reform for this special recording of Jungle. Javier Navas Medina, and I'll be surprised if I got that right, wrote, For me, it's a bit of an irrelevant song. For me, it's a bit of an irrelevant. I can say words, really, I can. For me, it's a bit of an irrelevant song in the album. Although it carries almost all the distinctive characters of an ELO song. The quality of the rest of the songs doesn't help it much. Tracer Anthony said, Saw Jeff last night in Washington, D.C., last year in Philly. God bless Jeff. If our esteemed podcast hosts have any recent concert memories to share, that would be awesome. For me personally, Shine a Little Love remains the very best light show effect of any of the songs he performed. Well, unfortunately, I don't think Jeff Lynn is coming to the Phoenix area. And usually I think of going to see a concert, and then I usually talk myself out of it because I don't want to be with everybody else in the concert. <laughs> I really wanted to see Ghost this last November, and uh, before they got way too popular, and I'd have to be up in a nosebleed section, but yeah, I ended up talking myself out of it just simply because I don't always like being with that many people and nobody shuts up sits down and listens hmm. to the music um sure i got some recent concert memories i think the last concert i went to was heart cheap trick joan jet and i got to see a lot of 40 to 50 year old asses because 
People don't sit. Why do people do this? I mean, we went through this uh, bonus tracks for the early albums, but 40 years I waited to see uh, I Want You to Want Me Live. And instead, what I got to see was a lot of butts. Everybody stood up for that song. And Joan Jett, I saw like maybe a portion of her head on a jumbotron for what I could see looking between the heads of other people. Yeah, people standing. Stop it. Not everybody is taller than you. I'm 5'7", and even though I was slightly elevated than the people in front of me, I still couldn't see anything. And when I could see something, some nitwit holds up their camera to video or, f- or film the th- or take a picture, and then that blocks what I can see. So, sit the f*** <laughs> down. As for ELO, no, he has stiffed St. Louis again this time, which is the closest place I can go to see him. And I see other people say, why don't you just go and drive? Go go see him in Chicago or, or Kansas City or the four hours in either direction he's playing. Because it costs money. I don't make a lot of money to be traveling. It's probably something like a hundred something dollars or around, maybe a little bit less, for okay seats as far as tickets go. Then I've got to drive out there. That's a lot of gas. Flying out there, that's an expensive plane ticket. I'm going to need a place to stay. That's an expensive room. I'm going to have to eat. That's cost money. And honestly, as much as I love ELO, even if the Beatles got back together, somehow, either through <laughs> time travel or resurrection, I can Sewing not... together bones and using strings and animatronics. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or that, or Frankensteining John and George. I cannot justify in my head spending 500 to a thousand dollars to go see a concert and one where it's a good bet there's going to be a lot of 50 60 70 year old asses in my face if they play st louis sure i will drive the 20 minutes to go and see them you know i'll spend the 70 dollars whatever for the cheap seats and i will go see elo but (laughs) look i i I work part-time making pizzas I'm not raking in the big bucks to go traveling. And as for this podcast, once I split up the uh, Potomatic earnings, I wind up with about $8.36 for the month. So I'm not making money to go travel and see concerts. So Jeff Lynn needs to stop being afraid of St. Louis and come. Well, I kind of I don't blame him. Oh, honestly, I don't blame him either. <laughs> I thought Phoenix had gotten bad the longer I'd lived there, but when I moved here in southwestern Illinois and... All the TV stations come in from St. Louis. I'm like, my God, what's going on over there in St. Louis? It's like a freaking war zone over there. Stop shooting everybody. I don't know how they even have a population anymore in St. <laughs> Louis. I mean, well, that too. At, at, at some point, you just got to shoot everybody. Everybody's got to shoot. Got to have shot everybody. And uh, yeah, at some point, you, there's got to be nobody left to shoot. I know. At some point, you run out of people to shoot. So, yeah, I, I kind of don't blame him. But you know, he's a rock star. I'm sure he's going to have security, limos. Uh, you're going to be safe, Jeff Lynn. If Paul McCartney can play St. Louis, and he has a few times, then you're going to be fine. Come on. Come to St. Louis. If Paul McCartney can fill a stadium in St. Louis, so can you. You've been filling stadiums in the select cities you've been playing in America. Let's go. Casey will back the concert, promote it. You've got an audience here. And if you don't want to play St. Louis, if you don't want to play Bush Stadium or whatever they got out there, I just stop by my joint i got a little apartment. I've got an acoustic guitar. <laughs> if you want to stop by, j- 
just, you know, hey, Eric, I heard you. I like your podcast. I'm going to ignore the copyright things that you're violating because I like it. But I thought I'd do you this favor for being such a big ELO fan. Why don't you go upstairs, get your acoustic guitar, and I'll play you a few songs. And about an hour later, after I stopped standing there gawking and standing in a pool of my own urine, just... (gasps) I'll get my guitar and Jeff Lynn can play some songs for me and Tulla and Madeline. Who will tell you if she likes it or hates it? But she likes a lot of your stuff, so... Alright, after that rant, let's uh, move on to Starlight. Pam Van Allen wrote... Horrible baby-eating monster, Eric Winsensen. I don't know. Of course. Of course. But, you know, getting what? We're getting close to about 8 billion people on the planet? Some baby-eating might be necessary to, uh... So we don't, uh... You know, drain the resources of an overpopulated planet, so... Yeah, that sounds like a modest proposal. He might be onto something. I'm surprised we didn't get any flack on that. <laughs> I'm, I am really... I was expecting a whole bunch of stuff about... Baby-eating babies isn't funny! <laughs> Would he banter Blinded by the light and... as an ELO song, you guys are Satan. You sons of I babies. You, oh, I... this is humor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. No, there was a couple of, there was one person who, who thought it was funny. Just the casual way we were talking about eating babies. Yeah, that's funny. Miscrediting an ELO song. I will find you and I will kill you guys. That's, yeah. <laughs> Doug Payton says, I agree with Eric. I'm a big fan of pretty much this whole album. I would have to guess that would be me, Eric. That would be that, Eric. Yes. James Crow. Like the song. Love the Star Trek Link clip. First of all, you have just gained huge points with me for recognizing that that was from Star Trek. That is my favoritest Star Trek parody. And um, for someone to pick up off of that drop, that Star Trek, you... You're a pretty freaking awesome person. Yeah, most people's favorite Star Trek parody is called Voyager. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking Discovery is uh, seems to be a, a favorite to some parody. Oh, I hate that show. Anyway, it's an ELO podcast, not a Star Trek podcast. Troy White says, Call me a baby-eating monster. Roast baby with oyster stuffing is my new favorite go-to Thanksgiving meal. But I have to agree with Eric W. on this one. Starlight is, at best, drawly entertaining and would have been better either as a B-side or as a non-album single. It just serves to remind me of why this album was a major disappointment. It's interesting to note that an unreleased version of this song was included on the CD remaster of A New World Record in 2006, along with an unreleased instrumental version as if we need more versions of this song it was I'm starting to like this troy white guy <laughs> maybe you and andrew whiteside can just form a commune well no i actually like electric light orchestra i guess that's true i don't know about that new world record thing i don't remember starlight being on that an unreleased version of starlight being on the new world record remaster all right so jungle a song that i loved and eric was the very opposite of love. (laughs) James Crow said, I'm taking Eric Paul's side on this one. I've always seen Jungle as Jeff's homage to the sillier Beatles track. Should they have released You Know My Name, look up the number? No. (laughs) This was one of the tracks we blasted out in the barracks back in my early Air Force days to fantastic reaction. I completely agree this would have been a bad choice for a single because it had too good a chance of making it big. 
Yeah, as for you know my name, look up the number. Um, I laughed at the very first belting out that John did. You know and then the rest of it, I was kind of like, hey, I, I, okay, well, there it is. It's I kind of like, when is this going to end? That, that is that, exactly I, right. I, <laughs> it's kind of like a joke where it's, ha, 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 and then the person's still telling it five minutes later. Yeah, yeah. And I did like the jazzy sort of dinner club part of the song where it's the piano and the, the brushes on the drum and the bass. But that's uh, about all I can get out of You Know My Name. It was a B-side, it was not an album track, and that's good for a bizarre obscurity. Jill Chenault says, I'm so glad to hear that actually is Jeff doing the Tarzan call. I initially didn't care that much for this one, but it's really grown on me. And visions of Jeff doing that call are part of why I like it so much now. Eric Paul's right. It's just plain fun. It wasn't meant to be high art. Yeah, when sensing. Yeah, art when you're high, maybe. (laughs) Debbie Farrar, I love it too. Costas Robert Ruffy says, Great track. Anything Jeff Lynn has got to be a great listen. I love Jeff Lynn, but I wouldn't say anything. (laughs) It's, you know, back to the first album. Or some stuff that's going to be coming up in a few albums. Ray Cornish said, One of my favorites, but rarely played track. Einar Rothen Guthbrunson says, Should have been a single. Eh, I don't think so, but we discussed that in that episode. Franklin Coleman. As a child, I played this song over and over on 8-track player. Love it. Um, you have got some skills if you can play the same song from an 8-track over and over again. Since there was no rewind, there was no track selection on an 8-track where you could go to the specific song that you want to hear over and over again. So, If you paid some extra money, you had rewind and fast-forward on them. I did not. You could actually get ones that had rewind and fast-forward. Hmm. Okay. The one my dad had only had fast forward on it. But you're right, trying to find an exact track, (laughs) you could get to the right head of the four heads there and then try and get to it, but yeah. Yeah, I know you could skip to the... The album would be divided up into four chunks. Some of those chunks would come in the middle of songs. I know you could skip to whatever chunk of the you wanted to and either wait through the song that's playing or jump in the middle of the song that you wanted. MJ Folds. Well, I bloom and love Jungle as well. Always been a highlight of the album for me. I liked the nonsense lyrics, the harmonies, the way it chugs along. It has such energy. Love it! P.S. Oh, and it sounds like you have re-recorded the lady that closes the end of every podcast. Before it sounded like you had made her read all that stuff out at gunpoint with some harsh editing. It flows lovely now. You're partially right. She lives 1,600 miles away from me, so I couldn't do it at gunpoint. That's Karen Sook, who does our end credits. And yes, it was smashed together from different, better-sounding recordings that she did on her iPhone. So I had to pick what I could. But I had some extra money in May, found a decent USB microphone that was only about $25. I bought it for her, had it shipped to her, and I said re-record this stuff so I can have a good recording of the end credits and so and that's what we have now and since I live 20 minutes away from her 
I was the one who got to go over there and keep her at gunpoint while she recorded it. Yes, me and Eric work as yes. a team, and uh, you yeah. do not want to cross our team. So. Yeah, Eric Paul's the one who's afraid of guns, of course. Mm -hmm. Me being the reactionary right-winger, well... Um, <laughs> She's got a, an arsenal, so... Just of course. Yeah, it's required for Arizona. In Arizona, yeah, yeah so... Yep. Just stay. Yeah, f five guns is a good start. <laughs> so just stay on his good side, stay on our good side, and those should be no problems. Before we move on, tell everybody to listen to the show, share the podcast, don't make us upset. Or he'll Crazy. slap you silly. <laughs> yes. I think only gun we're going to use on anybody is going to be a squirt one. Squirt one if it's full of vodka. <laughs> then that makes everybody happy. For you. I'm not a drinker, True. so. <laughs> <laughs> Tracer Anthony said, If one had to choose one song from the ELO archives that came closest to a full-blown and obvious novelty song, Jungle would be that song. I would agree. Doug Payton says, Yeah, the song does seem to pull ideas from all over. Quasi-Middle Eastern opening, Tarzan, and tap dancing. But there's an explanation of this jumble in the jungle at the very end. That ringing is the alarm clock going off. It was all a dream. I'm with Eric. Love the song. Ah, it was all a dream, so Jeff Lynn gets to go and make pizza. <laughs> I had never thought of it that way, that it was all just a dream. Oh, that the end was an, an alarm clock. I thought it was just... Jeff thought, hey, this is kind of cool sound. I'll stick it at the end of this song. There we go. I, I hadn't thought of it that way. I can see it as a dream now, now that there are talking lions and all that. Logan Anderson. Doug Payton, I always think of this song, even though it wouldn't fit on El Dorado, as an unreleased number from that album because of the alarm clock ringing, since that's all about dreams, and this is also a dream. I can't see... I just... Uh, Style-wise, I can't see it fitting in with El Dorado even as a bonus track or a, a B-side. Neither can I whatsoever. <laughs> well, barely even fits on without of the blue. I, I think you just don't even want to see it at all. No, yeah. no, I don't. Troy White says this song really tests the limits of exasperation for me. I like this guy, <laughs> but I must hold on. Got to make it to Wild West Hero. I first heard this song as the B-side of Shine a Little Love. I like quirky B-sides, so this song does work within that context. But it should never have been placed on this album. Tap dancing? A Tarzan yell? WTF was Jeff Lynn smoking. That's a wireless transfer... Uh, <laughs> uh, wireless transfer of funds, right. Yeah, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. This episode was a real trip. You even mentioned the worst Sticks song ever recorded after Plexiglass Toilet. And one of the worst episodes of Star <laughs> Trek, the original series. Now every time I play this album, when this song comes on, I will see William Shatner in my head saying, What of Jungle? What of Jungle? <laughs> yeah, Plexiglass Toilet. That gets played on Dr. Demento because it's a weird song you don't expect from Sticks And... Like Jungle, I like weird songs you don't expect from uh, a band that's usually pretty serious, like uh, Sally by The Police. But uh, I, I'm still not crazy about Plexiglass Toilet, even though if it is kind of a silly song from a serious band. Or No Anchovies, Please by uh, Jay Giles Band. There's another silly you don't expect that from them. I like No Anchovies, Please, by the way. Brett W. Benton. Great song off of one of the best albums of all time. Hmm... Save that opinion for episode two of the Out of the Blue bonus tracks. Nicole Davison, 
it's different, and that can be good. I'm trying to look up the song they reference. A band called Jet, and their song, It's Over. Can't find it. I cannot uh, remember what we talked about. I should have listened I to that before we started. don't remember a band called Jet, or uh, I remember the song, It's Over. Uh, well, there was... There was a band. Jet's the record label. Jet's the record label. There's a band called Jet. Oh, yeah, I remember them. They were early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Cold Hard Bitch or whatever that was. Yeah. Yeah, where they basically they stole part of uh, one of Iggy Pop's songs, Lust for Life, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, they had a hit with a ballad that I really love and I can't remember. Look what you've, look what you've done. Look what you've done. I, I be, if we go back and listen to the episode, we'll be able to know what we're talking about. But we're moving on, so it's a good bet we're never going to get back to recording our answer to your question, Nicole. Mark Herring, I pegged this cut as being the next single after Turn to Stone. So much so that I played it often at the disco I DJ'd in early 1978 and got some fairly good dancers on the floor with it. Very happy to hear that UA thought about releasing it as a single. And about the other Eric, I believe that's you. I always hear in my mind when he's discussing Out of the Blue as being too formulatic, formulatic, formulaic, form, formula-like. I can't get my mouth to say the word. That's because it's the wrong word, but still we'll forgive him. Yeah, as being too formulaic, but he really loves discovery, sung to the music man's but he doesn't know the territory. That makes it easier to take his opinions. And knowing that there was a lot of cocaine back in the (coughs) 70s makes it easier for me to take yours. (laughs) (laughs) okay accusing a fan of drug abuse in in the 70s we'll just we'll just move on mark can wait for eric outside the building when we're done okay so don field says yet another throwdown episode and this is how lifelong grudges between friends start i dig this track fight me (laughs) okay fisticuffs bare knuckled shirtless gotta grow out the mustache first (laughs) Bike racks, two o'clock. Don't be late. We alternate these comments. Eric reads one, and then I read one. But this one came in, and even though Eric read the last one, I would like to give Winsenson this one to read, because I think he would really enjoy reading it. Matthew Schultz says, I have always loved this song. It comes closest to the children sing-along type songs. The Beatles recorded like Yellow Submarine and Octopus's Garden. Kids in our family love to sing the silly little romp that has classic Jeff Lynne sci-fi overtones. Plus Jungle's Chuka Chuka Hula Lay, Luka Luka Kula Lay came decades before The Lion King's Hakuna Matata. Um. Yeah. And I am not a big fan of Hakuna Matata either. Yeah. I will actually admit, I like the original Lion King cartoon, but it's not that bad of a ripoff of Hamlet. But it is (laughs) pretty good. However, like most Disney stuff, my attitude is get rid of the damn music. Uh, That's part of it. Uh, So um, about this comment, the only thing I liked was Yellow Submarine and Octopus's Garden. By the way, you forgot about All Together Now. Obla dee, obla da. That's, there's another kitty sing-along song. <laughs> Except the Beatles and, in this case for me, ELO do it better. Because I can't, I despise kitty sing-along songs. 
just about as much as I despise the Lion King and Hakuna Matata. Hate, hate, hate the Lion King and Hakuna Matata. Really, just anything with the Lion King. I hate. So uh, look forward to that discussion when we do our Disney movie podcast after this. That should be fun. He stole one of my babies. <laughs> he what, huh? He stole one of my babies. I'm sitting up here growing up a baby, and the other area comes along and snatches one. <laughs> now, Lion King is actually one of the better Disney films, but yeah, I, I just never understand why they throw in all the music. Black, there's a reason The Black Cauldron is one of my favorite Disney films. Number one, it doesn't seem like it's made for children. Yeah. Number two, it doesn't have a bunch of stupid music in it. But of course, everybody hated it. Nobody went to go see it, which, right. is, which is typical for whenever you actually put out a good movie. Well, I hate Disney post-Walt's death. Before Walt's death, I'm, I'm okay with Disney. I'm, I'm more Warner Brothers, MGM cartoons. True. That's true, because Fantasia was one amazing movie. Yes, it was. And you really want to include real music yeah. instead of kitty sing-along stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, Fantasia's one of the best melding of music and animation that I've ever seen, and that was still with Walt alive. And early Mickey Mouse, uh, he was much more snarky and... He was more towards the Warner Brothers end, where he wasn't just an amiable go-along. He was much more snarky and much more well, screw-you kind of thing. Early Mick. And also occasionally racist. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so was Bugs Bunny, and yeah, but that was the times, man. <laughs> True. We got over it. Um, yeah, The Lion King, I just did not like those Disney cartoons, because they're all saccharine and, uh, you know, just bland family-friendly crapola that I can't stand, and then you throw in those sickening, happy little happy songs. That movie ruined The Lion Sleeps Tonight for me, which I had no problem with, until that goddamn movie came out. And I worked at Target in 1994 when it came out on video, and they had it right there. Of course, they're trying to sell it, so they have the TV-VCR combo right there at the front register, and every goddamn 90 minutes, I hear that goddamn Hakuna Matata. Or the way that goddamn lion sleeps tonight just cuts through the air, no matter how busy, no matter how much the shopping din is, there's that goddamn song. Well, it prepared you for parenthood. <laughs> nope. Because I can just <laughs> go upstairs having and... To, having to hear the same child's video played over and over and over. Nope. Because unlike working at Target, I can go upstairs, close the door, watch Star Trek, listen to ELO, get away from it. There were times when I would dash away from the register and pull the plug out of the floor for that TV until, I don't know, an hour or so later, somebody would notice, oh, hey, the TV's off. Oh, I better go and turn this back on again. So, yeah. Hakuna Matata. You are asking for a severe <laughs> beating when I come out there in, in, in November. It's uh, the circle of life, Eric. All right, we're going to... I, I, this pot, this episode is already an hour and a half long. I just gonna calm out. Gonna move down because really I could I could go on forever about how much I despise the Lion King, and I think I've done enough. Moving on, believe me now. Jill Chenault wrote, "I read or heard somewhere that believe me now was Jeff's shout out to Sandy that she had asked him to slip in an I love you on the new album, and this is how he did it. As for the lyrics." What I found somewhere and what I have assumed to be true are Can You Hear Me? I Love You. That sounds pretty clear to me. Believe Me Now. I Could Never Leave You Now. Don't Leave Me Now. Believe Me Now. 
Right or wrong, that's what I always hear. Well, he's he's a lot nicer than I probably would have been, which would have just been probably vocoded, girlfriends and wives stay out of the studio. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, look what happened when the Beatles started doing that. Get out! <laughs> Go shopping or make us some sandwiches. You got an old catering crew for the sandwiches. That's true. So the woman can just watch and be awed by the awesomeness of the men in their life. Just, yep. shh, be quiet, don't say anything. You're perfect that way. There's one guy I watched some stuff with. He's, he's got his own recording studio. He purposely makes sure that there is no extra chair <laughs> in the studio. That way, girlfriends and boyfriends... Mm quickly figure out that there's no room for them as an introvert i love that setup i cannot record when there are people in the room i tried to do that one time when tulla and madeline were up here after she recorded her what she thought of a song i was going to just record just the simple this is face the music and electric light orchestra song by song podcast episode number whatever and then the song title that's all i was going to do they know what i'm going to do they know what goes on but there were people in the room, and it's just, I, I, all right, I can't do this. I'll do it in the morning when everybody's asleep and at work. So so I love the idea. There's no chair, so don't even think about coming in here while I'm trying to work. So unless I, you're a member of the band, mm-hmm. and you got con- <laughs> yeah, and you're there to record, yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I, I, just, I feel myself seize up inside, and I try and force my way through it, and it just doesn't sound as good as if when I'm alone, and I don't feel the eyes of the world watching me yeah my problem isn't the eyes of the world it's the mouths of the world because you never know when somebody's all of a sudden gonna take that opportunity to make noise yes there's that too i'm finally getting the perfect takedown (coughs) (laughs) yeah son of a (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 mj fold says just listen to your latest good stuff I really like the song, but not sure I could stretch a whole show about it. So well done. Well, thank you. Jeff Lynn has his magic. I have my production magic. True. Jean-Paul, and we have chicken. Uh, that too. Jean-Paul Azuro, one of my all-time favorites. Todd J. Lamp, the lyrics to Believe Me Now, what I hear, Can You Hear Me? I Love You. Believe Me Now, I Will Marry You. Somehow. Believe Me Now. Believe Me Now. Sounds more like a threat than anything else. <laughs> I will else. marry you somehow. I will marry you somehow. Dead or alive, <laughs> we will be married. You will marry me. Jeremy Ashburn replied to Todd, I've always thought he was saying, believe me now. I'm too high, I can't come down. Kind of like a Major Tom situation. Floating way too high out in space to get back. He does know that Space Oddity was about heroin. I... I didn't know that. I, I, <laughs> I'm too much of a rube. I just did this. Did, you show me a picture of the song, and I see the picture of the song, and I don't dig any deeper. I thought it was about an astronaut. I thought December 63, oh, what a night, was about a nice date. He had a nice date that night. They went to the malt shop. They went to the dance. Got a nice kiss on the cheek, and then, ah, what a wonderful night of bonding. I had no idea it was about one night of banging one off with somebody and never seeing them again. <laughs> I was in you my didn't get that from the actual lyrics? No, I was 27. Yeah, I mean, so you can picture Frankie Valli um, when he's starting to push 40, uh, talking about when he could still have a little bit of fun 10 years before. Yeah, no, <laughs> I no, I just, it's, I was, it was, had heard the song for 20 years, and then it was a hit again in the late 90s, and that's when I found out, oh, oh, 
This wasn't a Happy Days scenario where they went to Arnold's and had a good time. This is where they no. probably went to the <laughs> dumpster behind Arnold's and banged one out. Exactly. So, okay. <laughs> and it was December in Milwaukee, so that was a very quick Ooh, one, I can well, tell you that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Moving on from those images. Andre Torok, can you hear me? Ah, you! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's how he meant it. <laughs> Believe me now. I just can't explain sometimes. Believe me now. Believe me now. Believe me now. Don Fields, gotta milk it. Yeah, you do. When you put a time limit of at least 10 minutes on a podcast and you're talking about a 1 minute 21 second song, gotta find entertaining ways to make reach that 10 minute mark. And uh, we did it. At least we didn't do like other podcasts where they talk about a half hour episode of a TV show for over two hours. There's... That's serious milking. The the cow is just brittle bones and tight skin wrapped around it at that point. Tony Peterson says, greatest ELO album ever. The other Eric is clueless on this one. Yeah, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Pam Van Allen, you nailed the lyrics. Oh, so it is about Kung Kung Pow Chicken. Can you hear me? I love you, not vocoded. Believe me now, I could never leave you now, full on vocoded. Love it that you included the detailed vocoder explanation with the song. One of my favorites. Yeah, it's too short. Troy White says, My only complaint about this song is that it is not really a song. It's more like a song fragment, which is disappointing because it sounds like the beginning of what would have been an excellent ELO song. One that could have rivaled or even surpassed anything on New World Record. Sadly, we will never know unless Jeff has a complete version hidden in the vault somewhere. I doubt it because I own both Afterglow and Flashback, and I think it would have ended up on one of those box sets. Now, if you will excuse me, I'm feeling hungry for some strange reason. think I'll get some Kung Pao chicken and fried rice. Believe me now, Kung Kung Pao, I am hungry. <laughs> yeah, that song really could have gone to, I think, some really cool places if another 121... Even another 221 added to that. But no, and yeah, if it, there had been longer version, it would have been on one of those box sets. And we could have had a vocoder at the end of Pastrami and Rye. I could go for some Pastrami and Rye right now. That's good. So, last song, side two, Steppin' Out. Jill Chenault wrote, unrelated to this song, but I noticed that in Bev's interview at the end, he said Fire on High is his favorite song to play. No wonder. You got to actually kick a little rumpus on that one. I wish there were more examples in the ELO catalog of him being such an awesome drummer. Yeah, he totally, like we said on our episode for Fire on High, um, Ringo, Bevan really gets to fly loose on this as opposed to most other songs where it's bass, bass snare, bass snare, cymbal, cymbal, and a little drum fill now and then. Nothing wrong with the way Ringo plays, though. No. I like, like Ringo, too. Just for a second, my mind blanked out, and suddenly every drummer was Ringo. Mark Herring says, Okay, so I'm on the back porch, sipping my coffee and listening to the Stepping Out episode, raising my mug three times to Sammy's Segway. Excellent edits in the music, but I digress. Thinking to myself, Okay, this is where the other Eric and I will finally agree on a cut from Out of the Blue. But, but, he likes it? He likes it! It was then and there I understood that Eric is from the bizarro world. 
Yep, the only way I can rationalize his disappointment with Out of the Blue and his rumored love of Discovery, now all is right again in my world. <laughs> yeah, they were. Well, I wouldn't say I loved it. I wasn't exactly jumping up and down with joy with it, but it was actually not. I was more along the lines of it. It's just not that bad. Right. Yeah, th- there's some excellent edits that I did in that song, and then there's an edit at the beginning that is just awful. But if you thought they were great, I'm not going to destroy your illusion of my brilliant editing talents. Pam Van Allen wrote, We can get an idea of what Jeff's re-recorded version of Steppin' Out sounds like by listening to the version he played at Hyde Park. Been meaning to watch that for the last three years. I gotta get on that. Sweet mother of God! What is the holdup? Tony Peterson says, It's a wonderful song. I have used it for inspiration many times in my life. I listened to the podcast, and all I heard was whining about this brilliant song. (laughs) Well, I could see using it as inspiration as soon as the waitress you've been dating says, I'm pregnant, then, yeah, step it out, we're getting out of here, okay? (laughs) That's inspiration. (laughs) Hey, at least he left a good tip before he left. Those sentiments are so distasteful. MJ Folds. Good episode. I bloom and love the song. Hadn't really noticed the bad vocals before. Always sounded lovely to me. Be nice to hear Jeff's new version, but we will probably all go, meh. Threw me at the end when you announced a bonus tracks episode. I thought, hang on, next week should be the start of the concerto for a rainy day, but it is nice you were splitting it up. Makes sense. Yeah, I didn't hear anything terrible about Jeff's voice, so much so that Jeff would say, ah, that's terrible, I can't listen to it. Thought his voice was fine enough. I mean, if he wants to hear his terrible voice, he should listen to the first two albums. There's some stuff on there where Jeff, yeah, it's not so good. And, yeah, I kind of think splitting this up is a good thing to do. Otherwise, we'd end up with a three- to four-hour-long bonus tracks episode. I want to try and keep these things under an hour, but it's already an hour and a half. I did, my God. A three-hour episode, I don't want to put anybody through that. Troy White says, I love this song. It's an oasis in the middle of an album full of lackluster and so-so songs. This song would have fit in nicely on a New World record. In fact, the opening is reminiscent of that album's mission, a world record. I'm not a big fan of the vocal either, but I don't think it ruins the song. If I ever get around to programming my one-disc version of Out of the Blue, this song would definitely make the cut. I like this guy. (laughs) I like Troy, too. (laughs) Unleash the outtakes. And they're off. We turned the stone. Um, and then in the middle of it, all of a sudden, they just go, uh, they just completely go crazy with it. Which is, and then it goes right back to the song again. Which is also another thing that I friggin' love, and I also love the orchestra at the end, where it, it builds and winds up as it fades out. Um. <laughs> I, lyrically, yeah. I there's some. I, see, the thing is, I get it hit straight. It's like a million things I want to say at once. Thought there was something else, but I think I've hit it all. For sweet talking woman. Well, we've hit it and quit it with sweet talking woman. There you go. And now it's on to last song on a very short side. Okay, we're well, we're ended. <laughs> We actually went 12 minutes on that, so. Or so, or around 11. Starlight! Uh. 
was going somewhere and then it all just evaporated. Kind of like the song. <laughs> Jungle! Who's starting? You get to go first today. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> but to release it as an A-side of a single, to be the hit, I, that that would have been a bad idea in in many ways. Yep. Just like David Bowie is very, very lucky he released The Laughing Gnome that early in his career. <laughs> yeah, back when he could get away with, he's just a silly Back when nobody guy. cared who he was. <laughs> yes. Did that about 1973? Well, then him and his Ziggy Stardust get up singing The Laughing Gnome. Yeah. I. Uh, somebody would have just dragged him into rehab right then and there. <laughs> yeah. And that, that this song is about on the same par as that. I guess. I guess me and you are going to have to take go outside and settle it like two drunken idiots and be in a gutter and pass out, I guess. I, I think that's what drunken idiots do. I've never been a drunken idiot. Um, I have, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm one of those drunken idiots who can still walk and walks <laughs> his way over to the Uber and goes home. <laughs> well, it doesn't go. bother other people. Okay, well, good. <laughs> Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra song-by-song podcast, is a production of Radio Trolla Entertainment, Assorted Deli Meets Amalgamated. You can contact us by voicemail at 623-850-3375 or email us at eloftmpodcast at gmail.com. Keep up to date on the show by joining our Facebook group and spread the word by sharing the link or giving us a quick rating on iTunes. You can financially support the podcast at patreon.com slash ELO pod. Next week, episode 068, Standing in the Rain.